Turn with me, if you would, and we'll see how much time we have for all of this. We're going to focus today on Proverbs 15 and 16. If you're with us for the first time, we are going through a series that we always like to go through in terms of the church. And right now we're focusing on Proverbs. And today we'll look at the nature of God, but some of the verses we're going to look at, we'll talk about planning. So I'm going to pull some material from a couple of good books, including one by Robert Jeffers on Solomon's Secrets. And along the way, I suspect some of you also would like to get some thoughts about what's going on in Russia and Ukraine. And so we'll cover that as well. But let's first of all go to Philippians, excuse me, Proverbs. I've been talking Philippians all week. Uh, Proverbs verse 15. We're going to look at verses 8 and 9 and then 25 and 29. Verse 8. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who pursues righteousness. Then let's skip ahead to verse 25. The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but maintains the widow's boundaries. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but gracious words are pure. Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household, but he also hates bribes, but he who hates bribes will live. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Verse 29, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. And so here we're looking again at an attempt to try to pull together some of the Proverbs that are connected by topic. And what you kind of see here, as I put on the bottom of the screen there, is that sometimes you notice the Proverbs jump around. And one commentator argued that that was a good thing because the focus here was to teach young people, uh, to teach them wisdom. And so if they read a little bit each day, then there would be a reinforcing of those ideas. Some of us that like to be very organized would like to have everything on one topic and everything on another topic, but that's not the way it is, and I think there's value to that. And by the way, we've been giving out some of these little pocket handbooks on Proverbs. We've now run off, so I'll bring some more next week. So those of you looking for those, I'll get those to you as well, because we encourage you, as we are going through this series, you might want to read a proverb a day. Lots of times people read a proverb based on the number of the day. Uh, today would be the 6th, so you could read Proverbs 6. But if you wanted to, you could have been reading Proverbs 15 or 16, because we're looking at some of that as well. And so these chapters really are looking at the nature of God, but it reminds us once again that if we want to have wisdom, it begins with what? The fear of the Lord. And they all basically say the same thing. God hates the ways of the wicked, but he loves the ways of the righteous. He loves all people, but he hates their wicked ways. And so here we begin to see this whole litany of statements about the wicked, that God hates the sacrifices of the wickeds, but he loves the prayers of the righteous. God hates the way of the wicked, but he loves those who pursue righteousness. Um, and essentially he tears down the house of the proud and protects the vulnerable. And a couple of more, he hates the thoughts of the wicked, the gracious words are pure to him, and ultimately, this is far from the wicked, he hears the prayers of the righteous. And so this whole focus here is on the difference between the righteous and the wicked. 
And for just a minute, as you think about what we have been dealing with over these last couple of months there in Ukraine, can we at least all come to the uh, agreement that what is being um, foisted upon the Ukrainian people by Russia, or in particular by Vladimir Putin, is evil? You know, it's amazing. You can't even say that anymore. There are young people in colleges when asked if the Holocaust is wrong, can't bring themselves to say that it's wrong, can't bring themselves to say that it was evil. This last week, we had a vote in the United Nations. And do you realize there were five nations that voted against that resolution uh, condemning Russia? Of course, one of them was Russia, but some of the other countries were Belarus. North Korea and others. But then, in addition to those five, there were 35 nations that actually abstained, could not bring themselves to say this was wrong, like India and Pakistan and Cuba. And, uh, some of them you would not be surprised with, but some of these others you go, you can't even bring yourself at this level of evil to say it is wrong. If you've seen, you know, the cluster bombs and the vacuum bombs and all the things that are happening now inside the cities, I thought for just a minute we might talk about the fact that we surely, certainly should be in prayer for those individuals. And first of all, we certainly should be in prayer for the Ukrainians. We have a Ukrainian refugee crisis that is unprecedented. And some people say, well, obviously I can pray. Is there anything I can do? Well, our good friend Greg Laurie has been working with um, Franklin Graham, and he has been doing PSAs, and you probably can see those on YouTube and a variety of other places. You can see them on Facebook, in which he's encouraging you to send support to Samaritan's Purse. And I would encourage you to do that because, number one, they are setting up a huge hospital for these refugees, bringing in doctors and food and resources and everything. And as good as all of the humanitarian efforts are, wouldn't you like to support something that is not only providing food, uh, but also spiritual food and giving the gospel? And so, first of all, I would say that you really can be encouraging Ukrainian people by supporting groups like Samaritan's Purse, Slavic Gospel Mission, uh, even Word of Life. You know, as you many of you know, I speak, well, have, not recently, but most of the time I've had a chance to speak at Word of Life in Hungary. And last time I was in Hungary with Suzanne, they said, would you like to speak at Word of Life in Ukraine? Just don't think I'm going to make it there anytime soon. But, you know, again, these are ministries that are really raising up the Christian leadership of the 21st century. Any of you that would like to hear a little bit more, we brought in a Ukrainian on point of view on Friday, who, by the way, is an individual that uh, actually is heading up our Jewish studies program at Dallas Theological Seminary. He's a Jew who's become a Christian. He's a Messianic Jew and told all sorts of wonderful stories of the evangelism that has taken place even before this has happened. I'm hearing now from people with crew that uh, the response to the gospel is off the charts, unprecedented, as you can imagine. So first of all, I would have to say pray for just the devastation of the Ukrainian people, uh, the refugees that have been able to escape the others that are there. Number two, I would also say we should pray for the Russian people. I would make a distinction between Vladimir Putin and the Russians. I mean, we have neighbors across the street, literally. She's from Moscow. He's from Siberia. First time we saw them, he said, now I want you to know, just because we're Russian, we don't agree with Putin. And I think sometimes we are doing things right now that are hurting the Russian people, and they're not hurting Vladimir Putin. And right now you start seeing that we're telling uh, individuals if they're Russian, they can't participate. One Russian is not allowed to be in this chess tournament. One Russian conductor was not allowed to uh, conduct the orchestra. Uh, we're now having video games where 
where they're removing the Belarusian and Russian soccer players and just things like this, which is amazing to me because you remember after 9-11, you don't see, didn't see us saying, well, we're going to ostracize anybody from Saudi Arabia. We're going to treat somebody that's a Muslim. We recognize there's a difference between those Muslim terrorists and that. And yet we seemingly don't have a real distinction right now between him. And I'm concerned for the Russian people, how they're suffering as well. Um, their stock market is closed. The whole issue of the central bank is devastated. The ruble at one point dropped to less than a penny per ruble. I mean, what this is like for those poor people is something that I think is a matter of prayer. And then, of course, for us, I mean, our suffering is going to be minor compared to what they face. But I think the implications of sanctions and all sorts of issues of inflation are going to be really significant. But nevertheless, I just see that when we talk about the contrast between the righteous and the wicked in Proverbs, how relevant is that message in light of what we are seeing on our screens even today? And again, the concept of what he is talking about in terms of sacrifices is there was a tendency for Jewish people, recognizing that they were God's chosen people, that um, they would say, well, we have these sacrifices, we have these offerings, and yet Amos and Jeremiah and Isaiah refer to those in vain, because the reality was is that what happened is that oftentimes the Jewish people would say, well, the Gentiles are wicked, are wicked and we are righteous. And I think in the time of the prophets, they sort of treated the temple as a good luck charm. If we go to the temple, then that's good. And yet God's prophets made it very clear, it's not which team you're on, it's what's in your heart. And so I think we should have great empathy, by the way, right now with believers in Ukraine. It's amazing how many believers there are in Ukraine. There are also believers in Russia. Now, some of them hold more to the views of the Russian Orthodox Church, but we recognize that whether you're Russian, American, Ukrainian, those are important issues, but even more for us as Christians to recognize where our heart is. And I think let us hope that uh, because of this, even more will come to salvation. But let's move on to talk about some other issues, because one of the problems that, um, again, Solomon is talking about is how they worship false gods and oppress the vulnerable, because, as we heard today, if we say we love God and we don't love people, we're being hypocrites, right? I think Jonathan did very well with that message there as well. And God told them, instead of offering sacrifices and prayers, what you need to do is remove the evil of your deeds from my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression. We see there in the first uh, verses there in Isaiah. Did we say Jesus said the same thing? Yes, he did. He was critical sometimes of the Pharisees and the Sadducees because they had maybe an empty religion. They were all about following rules, but their heart was very far away. And we see that in Matthew 15. And even James says that true religion shows our actions, that we care for others. And again, a wonderful contrast between the message we heard today from Jonathan and what we are reading today even in the Proverbs. Again, we should recognize that we can't stand up there and be haughty and arrogant because none of us can be righteous by our own works. We need to take on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And ultimately, Proverbs agrees with both the Old and the New Testament that it's not religious ritual that determines our righteousness. It is our heart. It is not our sacrifices or our works that give us righteousness. 
but it is his sacrifice on the cross and his works. Let's begin, continue on, and we'll move now to chapter 16, verses 1 and following. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure but in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose. And then perhaps one of the most famous verses in Proverbs 14, verse 9, The heart of the man plans his way. But the Lord establishes his steps. Some of your translations might be the Lord directs his steps. And we'll talk a little bit afterwards if we have some time about how to plan from a biblical point of view. But I think we can ultimately recognize we can make our plans, but ultimately the Lord is in control of what happens. And we recognize that God is ultimately sovereign over everything. We see that in Nehemiah and the book of Acts. But he's also given us free will to make different kinds of choices. And so the question is, where do we see God's hand when evil prevails? I mean, how do we make sense of all of the evil that is unfolded before our very eyes? And I'll be the first to, again, acknowledge that sometimes it is difficult to resolve this tension between God's goodness and the evil that's in the world. Because we live in this broken world, a world of sickness and pain and death and war and injustice and all of the rest. But even there, I think we have to acknowledge that even though we may not understand it, we're reminded in Romans 8.28 that ultimately that we know, it's almost like a hidden message, that God works all things out for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Hard to diff- you know, even sort that out. Suzanne and I right now are thinking about a friend of ours whose daughter has been a professor over there at Russia, And we just saw the picture of them landing in DFW with the suitcases of all of their earthly possessions. They've left them there, probably never going back. Have had a great outreach ministry and everything. It's over. It's just literally over. And how do you make sense of that? I don't know that you do. And whether we suffer in great ways like refugees in war, or whether you suffer because um, you lose your job or there are difficulties in your family, we also have to trust in God's goodness. But I'll be the first to admit, sometimes it's hard to try to make sense of all that. But ultimately, we are encouraged to go ahead and make plans. I have some friends that say, well, I'm just going to leave it up to God. Don't make plans. You're never going to hit any kind of target, so obviously we need to make plans, but at the same time recognize God is control, in control. And if we commit our work to him, it actually promises that our plans will be established. It's a reminder that we should know how to live well through the Proverbs and to seek to make God-honoring choices. Because as our will more conforms to God's will, then there's no difference between your plans and what God intends because he's leading you every single day and you recognize God is in control. Let's finish this off and then I want to talk a little bit about how to apply some of these book, uh, various principles in Proverbs in this regard. And now in staying in Proverbs 16, we'll go back to some verses we skipped over. Verse 8, or 5 through 8. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpublished. By steadfast love, we're going to come back to that phrase, steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. 
When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. And here we once again see that uh, it is talking about this idea of salvation or atonement. The Hebrew word is kafar, which we see in verses 6 and 14. Uh, this is the only place where that Hebrew word appears, but it appears a couple of times in the Psalms, Psalm 65, 78, and 79. And really, atonement is more of the language of the law, of the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. Uh, it's not a typical topic for Proverbs, but it is used to try to illustrate a different idea, and that is the word steadfast love. We have, in English, no complement, no similar language to this. So, back in the days when they did the King James Version, they actually had to create a word, and they created the phrase steadfast love. Because the steadfast love is actually the Hebrew word chesed, or if I want to say it in German or Hebrew, you've got to have the guttural. And uh, if I did that, uh, Christy would have to have a handkerchief or something like this, because it's chesed, you know, uh, it's chesed, you know, you've got to be real guttural in German and also in Hebrew, chesed. And chesed actually is a word of really kind of talking about God's love for people. It's an unconditional love. It's even kind of beyond the idea of agape love. And so this was a word that later was translated in the King James and in RESV as mercy or loving kindness. But it's a supreme love. It is like a godly love. And we really, unfortunately, just have the one word love in English, which I think is a tragedy. Because I can say I love pizza, I can say I love my wife, I can say I love the Lord. I think I'm meaning different things, right, you know? And so that's the problem with this English word. But again, the chesed, if you will, is that very powerful love, so powerful that they actually try to come up with a different word or create a new English word just to try to explain it. And one a scholar said that this word is maybe tantalizingly impossible to reproduce in English. It's a fierce, loyal love that expresses itself in unconditional benevolence, even to those who don't deserve it. It's not a warm feeling. It's really acting on love. It's a little bit like what Jonathan was talking about today. It's the kind of love that makes even his enemies be at peace with him, we see in verse 7. Imagine if somebody uh, shows such love that even your enemies can't be angry with you. Just think about that. That is a very different kind of love than, hey, I love you, but, you know, be, be peace and go your way and, or go my way and all the rest. I mean, this is really uh, a demonstrated kind of love. And I thought, when you think about this, we can also, for those of you who want to take some notes, I want to put down Psalm 103 because this is another place where that word shows up in the Psalms. And it's really used to describe the incredible way God has loved his people through salvation history. In the New Testament, we see how God loved his people by sending his son. And ultimately, we see that in Romans 5, 8, that while we were what? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is the ultimate kind of idea of love. And you see that there in the Proverbs and with a word that um, actually is a little bit difficult to translate into the English. Real quickly, before we move on to some application, first of all, New Testament reminds us that God is love, but now it gives us a different kind of love. He loves because he is love. We can only love others because he first loved us. 
And only through this boundless love that we will have can we find atonement and walk in righteousness. So that gives you a little bit of an understanding of some of the things that we'll be uh, looking at in the next couple of weeks in the Proverbs. But again, just wanted to take you through Hebrew 101. That wasn't too painful, was it? And if nothing else, I didn't have to spit too far to get the word out. But let's, if we can, look at two books real quickly, because one of the themes running through this book today is planning. And I want to give you, some, again, some tools and even recommend some books that I think would be helpful if you are in the process of trying to plan for the future. With me on that? And the first one is a book by Robert Jeffress. He'll be on the program with us this week, as a matter of fact. And uh, first of all, he reminds us that uh, ultimately in the Proverbs, it talks about the fact that plans are established by counsel, by wise guidance, wage war. And he opens one of the chapters by saying that a number of years ago, he was invited to a message that was given at the Waldorf Astoria to those people in the United Nations, and the keynote speaker was Billy Graham. And Billy Graham started out by saying, being here in New York reminds me of a story of Albert Einstein. Some years ago, the great thinker was on a train bound for New York City. As the ticker taker came walking through the car, Einstein reached into his pocket and tried to retrieve his ticket, but he could not find it. He frantically searched his coat pockets, turned his pants pockets inside out, still could not produce the ticket. The ticker taker said, sir... We don't worry, Mr. Einstein. We know who you are. Forget about it. About 20 minutes later, the ticker taker came back through the car, and by this time, Einstein was on the floor searching around for the lost ticket. Again, the ticket taker tried to reassure Einstein by saying, look, I told you not to worry about the lost ticket. We trust that you purchased it, and that's good enough. Well, Einstein looked up and said to the railroad employee, young man, this isn't a matter of trust, but of direction. I need to find the ticket because I forgot where I'm going. <laughs> And if you've ever been to Princeton University, and I've spoken there before, um, it's no longer there, but there was a house that had a red door because when Einstein would leave his office, he would sometimes just walk into the wrong house. So they, that's why they had a red door. So he never knew where he was going. And the question is, do you know where you're going? And do you know where you want to be 10 years from now? And I think we're in the midst of one of the most uh, troubling times that we have faced for some time in a generation because of rampant inflation. And because of uh, supply chains that are being disrupted, because of a war in Europe that many people wonder might expand and have an impact on us as well. And so I think it's going to be even more important for us to kind of plan for the future. And what does that look like? And Dr. Jeffers takes you through, you know, how, what would you like your life to look like financially? What would you like to look, have your life look like vocationally? Your family, your lifestyle, your spiritual condition, and all the rest. And he spends some time then talking about planning that people have done. One example he uses is Abraham Lincoln. The goal is ultimately to bring the Union back together and to defeat the Confederacy. But then he talks about how Abraham Lincoln broke it into specific kinds of tasks, which we talked about two weeks ago, you know, breaking the vision into tasks. One was blockading key southern ports. Another one was gaining control of the Mississippi River. Another was rebuilding and training the military. And another was to the destruction of Lee's army, but not to be distracted with trying to capture the Confederate capital. And so he spends a fair amount of time just talking about when you have a plan, sometimes you have to break that plan, as we talked about two weeks ago, into meaningful tasks. 
To use a biblical example, you can see Solomon himself had to do the same thing because if you read through First and Second Kings and Second Chronicles, you will see that Solomon also had a plan in building the temple. He had to gather the necessary resources. He had to organize the people. He had to design the structure of what it would look like. He had to set time for when the project would begin and ultimately completed the project. And so he really takes you through how when, in many cases, Proverbs is a guide for us to make plans. And whether you're building a building or a temple or whether you're planning for your career or you're planning for your retirement or you're planning for your spiritual growth, I think the Proverbs give us a lot of really important direction. So here's a couple of verses I'll work our way through for just a minute. For those of you that like to get your cameras out and take a picture, of course, this is also on the website. These are some of those that I'm going to take you through because he then goes and spends some time talking about how important it is to have wise counsel. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. We already looked at this one. The plans of the heart belongs to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Of course, we talked about commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. And then one we'll look at in the future. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes to poverty. And so, again, he um, spends a little bit of time saying that I wrote a book years ago, The Road Most Traveled. <laughs> And again, we've got a lot of Robert Jeffers books. And the road most traveled is this. People who were content to do nothing. That's the road most traveled. He says, you know, if you think about it, Noah was not content. He built a boat. Moses was not content. He led a revolution. Solomon was not content, so he built a temple. Nehemiah was not content, so he rebuilt the wall. Even Paul was not content, so he pressed on towards the goal. And if you think about that, even God was not content, so he sent his son as our Savior. And so the focus that he has is how to plan. But let me now pull from the other book, uh, The Richest Man Who Ever Lived, because he then spends some time uh, talking about some of the obstacles that we face. He refers to them as landmines or booby traps. I just call them obstacles because he is convinced that once you have a plan, Here's the other part of it, and that's why I highly recommend the book as well, because he then talks about all the things that will keep you from actually achieving your plan. And one whole section of the book is about the fact that naive or simple people sometimes make terrible mistakes. And when he talks about that, he gives the story, for example, of naive or simple people that will make bad investments. And he tells some bad stories about his investments. And even to this day, you go out on the Internet and you'll say, if you, uh, I saw this the other day, um, Elon Musk is wanting to give back money. So if you send uh, $1,000 of Bitcoin, he'll send you back $2,000 of Bitcoin. And I saw they had the same thing with Michael Saylor, as if you believe that. Uh, so some of those are investments. But what we are now starting to see is the simple are being taken advantage of. I don't know if you noticed, but um, we, the other day, Suzanne and I got 
phone call after phone call after phone call telling us that somebody, for example, in Ohio uh, actually spent $17 on Amazon. And then I got another call saying somebody in California spent some money with your Apple card, which we don't have, uh, you know, for uh, various kinds of equipment. They were trying to get you to come online and give information. Or they'll call you and say, well, we're here from Wells Fargo. We're here from Bank of America. And there's been somebody's hacked into your account. So can you give us your social security number? Can you give us your birthday? You, you know what I'm going with this. I mean, there is, I think, a greater need for us to be wise as serpents, right? As well as innocent as doves. Uh, if we are simple and naive, we're going to make some really big mistakes because people no longer are robbing you with a gun in your face. They're robbing you by making phone calls and sending you emails. It's like the joke I saw the other day at Babylon B of this wealthy uh, prince in um, Nigeria actually died with all his wealth because he could not give any of his money away to anybody in America. <laughs> of course, that's supposed to be a joke, but you know, you have, oh, we all know we don't trust that one. But I can tell you, I even have staff members that have uh, unwittingly given information to what they thought was Apple Computer and ended up having their accounts drained. So I think there's going to be more than I ever would have imagined in this book about the fact that sometimes if we are naive or too simple, we might have mistakes that we will pay for. And so he talks about the fact that the Proverbs are replete with us not being simple-minded. For example, Proverbs 1.22 talks about that we should not be engaged in oversimplification. You love being simple, the verse says. Or presumption. Uh, well, we think oh, tomorrow is going to be better. So he says, do not boast about tomorrow. Sometimes we don't really look into a matter. We look at just the superficial appearances of it. And look at Proverbs. It says we should look into the matter. We should investigate that. Sometimes we do it because of laziness or haste. We're just busy and we click on uh, something on a computer and we just click on it without thinking about whether or not that's going to be dangerous. And Proverbs talk about those who engage in haste, what? Fall into poverty. This was written uh, before we ever had computers, but I think how much more applicable are some of these issues today? More importantly, maybe we have too narrow a vision of the importance of many counselors we've talked about. The need for us to have integrity. The person who walks in integrity, it says, that person walks securely. Also, greed, how greed brings to ruin. We just looked at that a few minutes ago. Arrogance, you know. Uh, pride goes before what? Destruction. And then even wrong priorities, uh, they talks about the fact that we should be a diligent person. So some of these obstacles are ones that I think are going to affect us, and we're going to have to be wiser than ever before. And then also we can sometimes be very naive about making wrong choices. Proverbs 22.3 says, The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer it. First time I heard that verse was somebody talking about the mistakes that some of his friends made in college where he could see, because he had godly wisdom, that there, that was going to lead down a wrong path. 
and you think of all those wrong paths. You know, going to places you shouldn't go to, drinking certain things you shouldn't be drinking, uh, smoking certain things you shouldn't. And he talked about how when they got together again, these uh, were all downcast and all completely destroyed by the wrong choices they made. And so again, the wisdom that we gain from God's Word so that we make prudent decisions and choices. Also, Proverbs 14, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Why is it that Solomon spends so much time talking about wisdom? Because I think wisdom is not the default value, is it? Uh, Wisdom is something that is acquired. Why did he want to give that to children? Because children are the classic example of individuals that don't have wisdom. But I think some of us can make the same mistakes as well. And we need to pass this on to our children, our grandchildren, our nieces, our nephews. They are living in a world where the world is giving them the wrong advice. And they're going to be paying a price for it as well. And finally, Proverbs 14:18: The simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. And then, of course, the importance of seeking godly counsel. I've already talked about this, but I'll mention it again. Proverbs 11, where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. The one we looked at today, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors they succeed. And whoever walks with the wise becomes what? Wise. Whoever is the companion of fool suffers harm. And one of the great challenges for parents is to put your kids with good kids because then the good kids will influence the kids in a good way. Because when those good kids get with bad kids, sometimes the bad kids win over, not the good kids winning over. And we know what that is the case. So surround yourself with wise and godly people as you make some of those plans. And again, if you find some uh, interest in some of this, the book by Robert Jeffress, there's also a DVD series that goes with it, the Solomon Secrets on Planning, and then, of course, the one by Stephen Scott, a whole section there on all the obstacles that will sometimes be used, sometimes by Satan, sometimes by the world, to get you off your game and to keep you from being successful with your plans. With that, let me turn it back over to Parker, and next week we'll focus on Proverbs once again.